I wonder if you're feeling hopeful this morning. And if you are, what are you feeling hopeful for? And are those hopes realistic? Advent is a time where I think for many people, we we spend a lot of time hoping and dreaming about what is to come. I can remember as a kid going to bed during those nights just before Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve Eve, Christmas Eve Eve Eve, and how many Eves you want to put before it, with that sense of tingling excitement and hope of the presents I was looking forward to getting at Christmas. For many, this last week has been a week of renewed hope as the vaccine has um, been released and has been approved by the regulators. And I think for many people looking to a hope that this pandemic may eventually, um, at least the light is at the end of the tunnel. Hope in many ways as human beings is the thing that keeps us going, isn't it? We hope for things, we look forward to things, things that are good, things that are on the horizon. And if we lose hope as a human, it can actually be very tough to keep motivated and to keep going. One of the major prophets in the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah lived in the 8th century BC. He lived in a period of great turmoil for the people of Israel. The once great nation that had been ruled by kings like David and Solomon had fragmented into these two kingdoms and they were now a shadow of their former selves. They were sort of being buffeted around by the power games of the Middle East, by the great empires of Babylon, Assyria, Egypt and Persia. And not only was their decline um, political and military, but it was also spiritual. Although they were still giving lip service to the worship of God, their hearts had actually drifted a long way from the worship of the Lord. It says this in Isaiah 1 verse 5, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Really difficult words, but it words that really underline the spiritual state that Israel was in. But Isaiah is not a book that is all full of doom and gloom. There are some images of incredibly uplifting hope. And it's one of those passages, a really well-known passage that we're going to turn this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and it's verses 2 through to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deepest darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness for that time on, forever and ever, for the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What words of hope, what words of future. Let's just pray as we come and look at these words briefly this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we turn to you, you bathe our lives with hope. 
And we just pray this Advent season as we look forward to celebrating your birth at Christmas. As we look at these prophecies um, over these weeks, that you would help us to be encouraged, help us to be hopeful, help us to, to feel the renewal of your spirit in our lives as we look to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah looks forward to when all the hopes that are laid out throughout the Old Testament, all these images looking forward, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what I find so comforting in reading a passage like this is that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is working history to his purposes. But it's also a reminder to me as we look forward that whatever mistakes we make in life, whatever things, whatever twists and turns we, we go on, When we turn back to God, we find that God has plans and purposes for us. There is always hope for us when we turn to Jesus. And the plans that God has here all relate to the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. It reminds us in verse 2 of this passage of the deep darkness that people are in without the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't see. We've got no hope. We've got no way of explaining this life. No narrative to paint that does justice to what our existence on earth should be all about. Nat and I um, went on a walk a few months back. And on this walk, we came across a mine. And it was a mine that you were actually allowed to go down. And you had to go down this deep um, stepladder that went underground and we went all the way down and it was really dark apart from the little bit of light that was coming in from the top and at the bottom of this stepladder there was um, a kind of fence and you couldn't go any further than that but you could hear water in the depths and there to the side of this fence I could just about make out that there was a handle and you had to wind this handle round like this and as you wound it round lights came on and they came on in the roof above but they also came on in the depths below and that which was dark was then lit up. And down below us was this subterranean crystal clear lake, a thing of absolute beauty that we wouldn't have known was there if we were still in the darkness. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness. The Lord reminds us that actually without Jesus, we're a bit like we were in that cave. We've got no way of seeing what is to come, no, no hope of eternity, no hope of future without Jesus. Now, this time of year is, is a year, is a time of year when actually we live quite a lot of the time in literal darkness. I don't know why it always surprises me that it goes dark at quarter to four, but every year I'm surprised at how early it goes dark and how early or how late it comes light in the morning. But not only this year do we have the literal darkness, but we also have the, the kind of gloom that this pandemic has brought across so much of 2020. And there's this economic backdrop, isn't there, of of collapse of of businesses on the high street just this week. We've seen Debenhams, Arcadia, Bon Marche, amongst others, all go into administration. And with it, the the pain that that will bring as so many people have lost livelihoods. Sometimes I think if, if we are a follower of Jesus today, we can forget just how pointless life can seem without Jesus. Just how deep the darkness is when there is no greater narrative when there is no higher purpose, when there is no bigger reason for living. Hope in just purely human terms. Yeah, we can have hope. We can hope to have a good Christmas. We can hope for a better year next year. But they're terribly fickle things without something to root them deep into the personhood of God. Hope is born when Christ's light shines. 
Hope is born when we're rooted in what God has said will happen. So Isaiah takes us on a journey of hope in these verses. And we find that the child that is to be born at Christmas is going to have some pretty amazing titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're just going to look briefly at these titles in turn. Wonderful Counselor, what does this mean? The the word wonderful here means supernatural. The one who is to come, the Messiah who is to be born, will bring God's counsel into the world. In everyday life, we often go to people for for advice, don't we? Perhaps if you've got a big decision ahead of you, perhaps it's to do with work or where you live or relationships, you you may go and you may ask friends or family, what what do you think about this? And I think part of the reason we do that is it takes away our sense of isolation. It makes us feel like we we can sort of um, draw on other people's wisdom and other people's ideas. But I wonder, do we go to the one who gives divine counsel first? Or is he just a tag on? Do we go to Jesus first or do we seek every other form of advice possible and then come to Jesus at the end? I'd encourage us this year as we approach Christmas to seek the wonderful counsellor, the one who brings God's words, God's direction right into the heart of our lives because Jesus is our wonderful counsellor. Second, Jesus is mighty God. Now, these words have caused problems for for people down the centuries. Some people have claimed wrongly, in my view, that actually Isaiah is not talking here about the coming Messiah. He's not talking about Jesus, but he's talking about a subsequent king of Judah. But no God-fearing king of Judah would ever take the title mighty God. Isaiah is, I believe, abundantly clear. The one who is to come, Jesus, the Christ, the Saviour, is God himself. And again, what a picture of sovereignty, of security, that God himself is coming amongst us. That God himself would come and live as we have done. And all that is fulfilled in Jesus. What a hope to remind ourselves of this Advent. The third title that is to be given to this baby is Everlasting Father. Now we could think, well, that's a bizarre title to give to a baby that hasn't been born yet. But actually, the Bible is very clear that Jesus has always existed. He is everlasting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, so John writes at the beginning of his Gospel. Jesus has always existed. And the title Father is about the kind of ruler, the kind of reign that Jesus will give. He will look after us with that kind of parental, that fatherly love that that is demonstrated in in a perfect relationship between a parent and a child. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, commented on this title of Everlasting Father and said, we need to be very careful here because this can get quite confusing. God is God the Father. Jesus is God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God the Spirit. And this title here of Everlasting Father is not about how Jesus is related to in terms of the Trinity, but it's about how we relate to Jesus. It's about Jesus's parental, his fatherly love for us. 
Now, I'm very aware this morning that, that for some of us, our experience of, of fatherly love, of parental love has, has been difficult and these kind of concepts can be very painful to grapple with. Even if our experience of human parents has been generally good and positive, as human beings, we still fail one another. You know, at times I realise that I'm a huge disappointment to our two boys. Now, part of that is simply because as a, a teenager and a tweenager, dad is just embarrassing, full stop. But beyond that, I, I do fail. I go into bad moods. I am sometimes irrational. I'm inconsistent at times. I'm very much a work in progress. The good news about Jesus is he isn't a work in progress. He is perfect. His fatherly love for us is perfect. It's not like the flawed love that an earthly father can give. But it's perfect, it's unconditional, it's never-ending. And Jesus, with his perfect love for us, wants the very best for us in our lives. We have been created in God's image. We have been created to worship God. Yet so often our version of what we think our life should be is quite different to actually what God would want for us. And my experience is that Jesus will somehow, sometimes have to knock those sharp corners off our character. We are by instinct still attracted to the darkness, to the ways that would take us away from God. But Jesus, with the tenderness and love of a perfect father, will come and guide us and lead us into his ways when we open ourselves to him. The fourth title Isaiah tells us about is Prince of Peace. But what is peace? Well, as I was preparing this this week, I, I was sat in a, in a room in the manse that overlooks the fields at the back of church. And I was just looking out the window and thinking, this looks incredibly peaceful and tranquil. I could see birds flying around, but they, they were making no noise. And it's interesting, isn't it? The only reason there was peace was because the window was closed. So I opened the window and suddenly the peace was shattered. The birds that looked like they were making no noise were actually making a racket. And actually underneath the window as well was Richard throwing things into the skip with incredible enthusiasm. And they were making quite a lot of noise as well as those things landed in the skip. I could hear the M56 and the M6 rumbling away in the background. Sometimes those images of peace that we create for ourselves are actually just an illusion. We, at this time of year, will be looking at Christmas card scenes of snow or or of those perfect kind of winter views, and it can look also peaceful. Yet we realise that so much of what we think of as peace is just an illusion. Peace in its original biblical context is not just about tranquility, although it does have that kind of aspect to it, but it's a broader word than that. It's a word that really means prosperity. Now, don't, don't sort of think that prosperity means, oh, we'll suddenly get loads of money and those kind of things. That is not what we find in the scriptures. But the prosperity in terms of flourishing as who we are in God is about having God's wholeness, God's shalom, the completeness that God will bring to us. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings peace into our lives when we allow him to nurture us, when we allow his presence, his spirit to, to come into our lives and change us and transform us. Now, we will still face the stress of living in a broken and a fallen world. We will still face all those things that every human being faces. But we will have the peace of knowing we are held by the Prince of Peace. We are eternally secure. He is our wonderful counsellor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father 
and our Prince of Peace. Peace comes when Jesus reigns in our hearts. As we've looked at these words this morning, I hope we find them hopeful. I hope that they bring us encouragement. I hope that as we go through this Advent season, we can just spend the time reflecting on who Jesus is and all that he brings to us. These words were were clung to for centuries by people who hadn't yet um, encountered Jesus because he hadn't been born. We live on the other side. We know that Jesus has been born. We know Jesus' ministry. We know he would die for the sins of the world. We know he would rise again. But for the people who first read these, these were words into the distance. It's my hope and it's my prayer that as we continue through this Advent season, that we become people of renewed hope. Hope for all that Jesus has brung. Hope for all that Jesus will bring in the future and hope of that great day when he will return in glory. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you lived amongst us. We thank you that you are the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. We thank you that one day you will return again. So this Advent, would you help our lives to be filled with the hope that only you can bring? Hope that exceeds all human hopes. Hope that takes us right into eternity. So change us, transform us and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.